Good evening. You have joined somebody out to say something. Today's topic is why black men don't date black women. And my special guest is my son, Lazarus Ricketts. So I'm going to start the conversation with my son by asking um, him the question, uh, why black men don't date black women? So can you tell me why this happens? Um, I can tell you from my own experience, but I can also tell you that even from my own experience, I've learned that it that is not a simple question. It is not a simply answered question. There's levels to it that distinguishes or that changes the answer for everyone. Okay, so do you want to discuss some of the factors that could be uh, playing into why black men don't date black women? Um, um, em- environment is everything, or environment is a lot of it, a lot of it for for everyone. Environment is a lot of everything for everyone in in so many regards. But in this specific situation, like it's in it. Oh, I don't even know if I can say that. Scratch that. It's environment. <laughs> It's environment, it's, um, which environment is made up of a lot of different things. It's made up of, you know, economic situation. It's made of the judicial or a law-based or a government-based situation. It's made up of a religious situation. It's made up of, you know, wealth and other, or, or, or it's made up of, you know, multiple different situations or multiple different things on the outside playing in. So you're talking about, diagnosing a a situation from start to finish that you know that yeah it's just levels it's it's leveled out that way so are you trying to say that um when you're talking about the environment that uh people live in or their surroundings how they were raised what what are you Uh, i mean all of it all of it all of it plays in all of it plays in in so many regards i mean it's something that we know when we look at modern day psychology like it's something that we know it's something that's very apparent that people's environments growing up impacts you know their their future self it's one of the things that when you're looking at most uh counseling and therapy nowadays most of that is literally people working with people about their past traumas or their traumas from when they were kids or from a previous point in time in their life so that by itself is a pure indication that a lot of our psyche is based on environment is based on you know a lot of these things that we interact with that we eat that we talk to or that we play with or whatever however you want to say it but like all that it it all plays into making a person into making a person who they are and operate in the way that they do okay so you you're saying that um the personal experience with other people is what impacts people's um dating preference Yes, purely, purely. I can tell you that. Um, I can tell you that depending on how a person has come into terms with their environment. So, for me, prime example, 
at an age where I was distinguishing certain certain things about who I would date and who I wouldn't date about these different things or about my environment that were coming in, I can remember being like, I don't know, 13 and having my sister come home and find out that the boyfriend that she was dating was actually her cousin. And that to me at that age, finding that out was like, oh, wait, I have a lot of family in this town mm-hmm. and there's a chance, off chance, that I could potentially date one of my cousins, not trying to do that, you know? So Mm -hmm. immediately that was an immediate factor that played in. Then also you have um, the school that I went to, Mm -hmm. my elementary school, I was one of very few like black kids in my school. So my interactions with most everybody was, you know, mostly white people. Mm -hmm. And then I go to this, I go to church camp for the first time and I interact with black people for the first time or black ki- other black kids for the first time. I'm the oddball out. I'm the kid that like, you know, and like the two, the one or two girls that I was like kind of attracted to that were black. I was literally like the white kid in the black kid's body that just was like thrown into their mix. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, and not saying that, not saying that that's not a normal thing that kids don't have to deal with and get over and figure out, but it's it's something different when you're talking about post-segregation. Who knows how to operate in that? Who even knew what, what an Oreo was coming into this? You know what I mean? Like, who even knew what that was? You were called an Uncle Tom back in the day, and it was completely unacceptable back in the day, but now we're moving into a post-segregation time where it's not supposed to be unacceptable anymore. This is what we fought for. These are the rights that we wanted. These are the things that we wanted for our kids was mm-hmm. to do better and be better. So like in that regard, it changes it a little bit. It, it changes it a little bit in how it, yeah, it changes how the whole situation goes out. It changes how you might think about or approach something in the future because you have this this stigma or this jaded nature or thought process or paradigm in, in, in reference to it. Right. Now, I think you kind of uh, did touch on something that um, I kind of can relate to because I was born in the 60s and in the uh, early to late 70s, it was not socially acceptable for people to date outside of their race. And I did see those people that did date outside of their race. Um, they were either cut off by their families and uh, kicked out of their families. Uh, specifically, especially if a black um, guy dated a, a white girl, the white girl most likely um, would be cut off from her family. So there was choices that she had to make if she really did um, love the, bl- the black guy. So I really never uh, saw too much of white men with black women. And maybe it was because I lived in an all black neighborhood and um, it, it, it just didn't seem like that was was uh, a relevant thing yeah. or something that was actualized was that white men dated black women yeah. now they may have dated them undercover yeah. um but they never 
marry them or anything like that. Not until I was um, in my probably um, late 20s, early 30s did I see um, a white man and a black woman be together. But, you know, I think that they're that that had a big impact on who it was that I dated. Yeah. But but it was bound to be that way, but you're also talking about this you're also talking about breaking down or or analyzing the psychosis of a patriarchal hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You're not just talking about relationship between male and female. You're now talking about the like the presence that a patriarchal hierarchy will will do when it it, when that is the environment what that will do to a person's psychosis Mm -hmm. automatically off top if it's like picking for a basketball team Mm -hmm. it's literally like picking for a basketball team it's like okay if i'm gonna go out here and i'm gonna pick between from all these people who's gonna be on my on my sports team i'm automatically not picking women first Mm-hmm. Unless I know she's a boss, mm-hmm. unless I know she's a beast, and she's coming out and she's balling hard, she's taking contact and she's bleeding, sweating, and I'm not picking her for the team because mm-hmm. it's a male-ran team. Unless we need like these, you know what I mean? So like the hierarchy system says male first, so and it says white male first, so they are automatically going to get the pool of their women. And what they see as women that go to black men is either they're rejects or, and if they're not rejects going to the black man, they're mad about it. Mm-hmm. Same thing on the opposite side. Like they, if, if you're a black, if you're a white man and you, you just stepped over to the black women's side, they think you're a reject. They think something's wrong with you. They think, yo, why didn't you want a white woman? Like we're we have like again you're talking about an economic situation you're talking about you're talking about things that subconsciously people know black people ain't got no money so you just went over here and you're trying to save her from the hood for what that's their approach but is that really true because there are some families who live black families who live comfortably and they may not be uh, uh, they may be thousand maybe not be millionaires or um you know what i'm trying to say but they have worked hard for everything that they have received so that you saying that they see the uh see us as black people as being unproductive and unable to achieve i don't think that the they goal. see it that way i think that it's just no i think that no matter how you look at it the reality of the situation is the reality of the situation And I think that the honest truth of the situation is what I've experienced and what every every, most black people have told me to experience. You have to work twice as hard as your white counterpart to get to the same part, the same, the same, the same point. Now, if we're talking about white counterpart, that depends on the community of white people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. If you're a if you're a black woman in a building full of white men and white women, then now your hierarchy is white men, white women, then you. If your office is white women and black women, your hierarchy is white women first. And then however Becky decides she wants to split it up. If she wants it to be redheads, brunettes, blondes, you know, however she feels, that's how it's gonna be. And then black women. 
that's how that that that's just how they want to operate it's just how things operate so in so many regards like again we're just talking about the the subconscious hierarchy more than anything else it's subconscious whether we want to acknowledge it or not is a whole nother thing but okay. the subconscious aspect of it is that yeah like these things are true black people have to work twice it's hard to get to the same point why because it's a white man's ran system so i'm gonna take things first so you're gonna get my sloppy seconds always it's like the difference between a first baptist and a second baptist church you'll never see a black church be first baptist why you're always going to get my sloppy seconds <laughs> like it's just how it is yeah. everything in our society says that and states that and it's it's everything's learned from the top down so no matter how you look so, at it like so are you saying that this is based on institutional racism and it relates back to the slavery days is why some of this is happening or why some of this is um visible i'm saying it relates back to governance period i'm saying that all of this relates back to governance i think all of this i think that subcon however you live subconsciously no matter whether you consciously believe something different however your whatever your subconscious thought process is that's what runs it that's that's what makes things tick that's what makes things go is the subconscious that is what keeps you breathing that's what keeps your heart beating that's what keeps you like 90 10 to everything that your conscious mind does your unconscious mind does a thousand times more than that so in so many regards you can sit here and have this opinion consciously but if you act out this opinion subconsciously so what about how you think you feel this is how you feel mm-hmm okay so i just want to take it back for a few minutes just to what you was talking about with proximity and you talked about how you were one of a one of a few black uh children in the school that you went to so you think that the environment that you was raised in um had an impact on who it was that you dated yeah, I think my environment made. I think my environment dictated dictated what was acceptable and not acceptable, just in the same capacity that we are just now recognizing that who a child sees on TV growing up dictates what they think is acceptable and not acceptable. Okay, I understand that now because you know my um, proximity was an all black neighborhood, so you know who I related to was all black. Yeah, um, and. It wasn't until I went to a to a school that had multiple races in it that I realized that there were other people besides the people that lived in my immediate neighborhood. And that there are other people that you related to. Right. It's gonna break. Oh, maybe it didn't break at fifteen. Mm-hmm. So um, let's wrap this up and give me some of your uh, final thoughts, if you don't mind. Um, final thoughts is then what? I mean, I feel like we could literally go on for forever talking about this because there's so many other implications. But like, final thoughts is in. I guess my question to you would be like, is there anything? Like, what more do you think you need in answering your question? Well, just listening to some of the things that you have said. I mean, it kind of uh, let me know that. You know, it's not all about, um, it's not all about, um, who 
you grow up with. But because I thought maybe there was something that I did that uh, failed you or that I thought made an impact, something that I how I acted impacted your thinking against about black women. So that's why I wanted to know if that was something that you thought may have played a role in why some black men date uh, uh, white women. No, no, I, I, so man, that, that brings out a whole nother topic. Um, I have mad respect for black women. And like, I think that there is a confusion on both sides, I think this that on both sides between black men and black women, and I didn't, I honestly didn't think that we were going to get here. But I think that that confusion comes from what a person designates as a strong black man or a strong black woman. I grew up in an environment where I felt like I was surrounded by strong black women. Mm-hmm. And if I told you that when I went to school and I looked at some of these black girls that I was around, did I see the same strong black woman that I saw at home? No. Am I going to see that at that age? No. But at the same time, like, if that is what I'm, if that's what I'm like, if that's what I've designated as like, boom, like, then, then that is what I've designated as that. And if nothing meets the criteria, then I'm like, well, nothing in my, uh, nothing over here meets that criteria and they might be my cousin. And, you know, like, I'm not like, whole nother t- topic, I'm not thug enough and I don't use the, the right abonics and I don't like, I, I, I do certain things that like just automatically turn them off to me. So in in a certain regard, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go over here then. Like, they want me, like, they're down, so I'm just going to go do this. Because, like, and not saying that, like, black women didn't want me, not saying that that wasn't a thing. It's just that, honestly, after you set a certain track record, people automatically assume that's what you like, that's what you want. Which is silly, because how many closet people do we find all over the place? So what they told you they liked and what they told you they wanted on the surface wasn't actually what they liked and what they wanted. So like for us to assume that just because this is what this person is with, that's all they want is kind of silly. And that assumption has been made time and time again. And I can tell you, I, I probably can tell you as somebody, as some black girl that I know, listens to this right now she's like well i was in tim but she never said anything i never said anything either but like my experience was what it was what it was your experience was what it was it didn't it just didn't play out not saying that you know either way it goes there's an understanding to be had there you know what i mean there's an understanding to be had that again even in that there was three different levels that i expressed in how this played out this way so it wasn't it had nothing to do with how I was raised or the women I was around because the women I was around gave me mad respect for black women. But vice versa. If you're talking about the men that a lot of these black women around, how many of those men are respectable? How many of those men, even in your situation, no offense, rest in peace to my grandpa, but no offense, even in your situation, how respectable was your father? How did that affect you and your relationship with men? How did that affect how you looked at the men that you were dating? 
I'm sure at some point in time, you're like, I want a dude that's going to be better than my father. And then at some point in time, you ran into a good number of dudes that weren't better than your father. So at some point in time, you probably hit a wall where you're like, man, I guess nobody's going to be better than, so I guess I just got to settle. And then you probably started dealing with, you know, chump, 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 chump. Or nobody at all. Or nobody at all. Yeah. And then at the point that you realized okay, this one doesn't work and this one doesn't work, then you finally meet the middle. Then you're finally like, oh, I'm going to sit and do nothing and I'm going to wait until something falls in that's supposed to be for me and then boom. Yeah, and I could be like my mom. She waited almost all of her life to find her Mr. Wonderful and by the time she died, she never found him. Yeah. I mean, because she had determined that she was not going to be... um, she wanted someone who was on her same level um, and who would treat her as well as she would treat them. And so, you know, she never she never found him. So, you know, she went to her she went to her grave wanting to find that man and to be married again. Yeah. So I thought I think about that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking again, you're talking about post-segregation time period, which a lot of things happen post-segregation. Like, hey, you're still dealing with with a depression style economy. You have multiple times that black culture had tried to come up that got chopped down at the ankles. You have multiple facets in which the government started the war on drugs and started doing all these things to push the African-American out of the home. Which, if you're talking about post-segregation, how do we even get to post-segregation? Well, through the civil rights movement. What happened in the civil rights movement to get us to a point in which we actually could see change? White people started seeing black people as something other than savages, as seeing us as something other than beasts and primates, because they could no longer look at us that way when you're driving through my neighborhood and i have the same style car as you my house looks the same as yours it's me and my kids out in our front yard grilling and playing baseball i'm doing the same thing that you do in your neighborhood on the other street so how can you refuse my humanity at that point you can't anymore and you saw that reflected in the media they're like oh i don't see black people or niggers being accosted anymore i see people so immediately what needs to happen if you are not down with this status quo? You need to destroy the American family. Not only do you need to destroy the American family, but you immediately need to destroy the African-American family. And once the African-American family became what it was, no wonder we have all the issues that we do in our, in our, in our households. Because we don't have households. We don't. I've listened to, I've listened to this... Uh, Oh man, I forget what the dude's name was, but he was on Laughapalooza. It was Jamie Foxx's Laughapalooza, and it was one of it was one of the comedians that got on. And he made a whole he did a whole thing of jokes about why he doesn't make fun of white people in his jokes because he was like, "Would you could you imagine if like white people came out and just did a whole skit of, of jokes about black folks?" And I like the things that he was saying. I was like, yo, like he's right, though. Like we don't have a family. We don't have a community. Ha 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 ha. You know what I mean? Because that's true. We don't have a community because we don't even have families. How do you have a community, which is a big family, when you don't have the little family? Well, that makes sense because there's a lot of times that 
there's the um the black mother is trying to raise the black children um and there's no male figure there in the in the home so i i understand that and some of that also had to do with when families needed help yeah the the man could not be in the house in order for the woman to receive the help for her and her children so that also was a form of separating um black family yeah the man had to leave um so that his children could be taken care of yeah um and also uh Well, I think that was what I was wanting to say yeah. um, about that. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you have the war on drugs as well, which I mentioned, but we didn't go into fully. But like the war on drugs by itself is a whole nother way, a whole nother scheme. You're talking about the percentage of African-American males that are out of the home and incarcerated from the 60s until now. You're talking about that same percentage reflecting of how many males aren't at home with their kids that aren't there. So you're talking about a rate of which like African-American men aren't dads. What rate of African-American men are in jail for petty charges? I'm talking about, I literally just heard about a, a dude that murdered somebody or that cop, the cop from Texas that murdered somebody and she got 10 years for full-blown murder. I'm like 10 years for full-blown murder? We know people that got little petty drug charges that are in jail for 10 years. The same time, the same amount of time for somebody that killed somebody. It's incredible to me. So then there you're talking about the value that's placed on life. Yeah. So if a black person does a crime, they get a stiffer penalty than a white person. And if a white person kills a black person, they get less time than the black person that kills the white person because the value is placed on the white life and not on the black life. But you also have to think about the other implications of that. It, 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 at the same time, we look at it as, mm-hmm. as, as devalue, mm-hmm. but in a, in a regard... It's actually saying that there's more value in you and your time than there is in these people. I have to take more time from you because it's incredible what you can do in that amount of time. Look at what we did between the 40s and the 60s, Black Wall Street on multiple occasions. We formed a version or a style of the Black Wall Street, but we only know about the one that they completely destroyed. They don't tell you about the other ones. In 1921. They don't tell you about the other times that we popped up a business. Yes, Kansas City was famous, 18 and Vine. You see? So, like, so these things that continually happen along this route, like, no, again, no wonder it is the way that it is. It is purposely kept, it's purposely made for us to lose rights for us to lose time for us to always be behind the curve it's literally set up that way and we can go through the multiple institutional ways that it's been set up through redlining through you know complete destruction of anything that we have tried to create through just like building a a certain psychosis amongst our counterparts to also have them keep us down from like birth of a nation when the first movies come out like and the president at that time is like, this is a wonderful ex- ex- a wonderful display of the African-American. The only thing that I wish is that they would have been more honest. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, this is the rhetoric that you're putting out during the, during the 20s? Like, this is the rhetoric that you're putting out? This is how you want people to look at black people? But we've seen it time and time again. We just forget. They've always run the same con. Savages. 
All I have to do is walk over here and tell you those people over there are savages and they need democracy or they need, you know, religion. And we will literally pick up our pitchforks and torches and run over there and kill whoever we have to and save the rest. <laughs> it's like the, the one thing that we do. And that's what they did to us. That's how they got us here. It's what they did to the Indians. Like, and you think that they don't realize that they have to keep the foot on the neck? You can't take it off. That's, that's an age-old thing. You can't take your foot off the neck of the beast. It's going to bite you. It's a, to be equal to you or surpass you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we have like a minute and 30 seconds left um, for our episode for today. So we can um, give our... Uh, closing remarks and I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for being willing to try to create a podcast that I hope that someone will take the time to listen to um do you have any final or closing remarks in regards to our topic and I will let your voice be the last one that will be heard on the podcast today um the only thing that I ever have to say is that there's levels. There's always been levels. There always will be levels. It is never as simple as the surface. There's always more underneath. And it's just how willing are you to dive in and figure out what's underneath. All right. So that's the end of our podcast for today. Thank you for joining. Somebody ought to say something.